Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Say, so, we get on. I was going to tell Robbie this. So so we're we all playing our roles, you know. What we did, we'll play our roles spontaneously. How's the sound if we split the mic like this? Sounds great. Yeah, it's showing good. I'm already recording. We're rocking and rolling. <laughs> Avery? He's already recording. Oh, we're recording. Yeah, right there. He's recording. Okay, we're hi. <laughs> hi, Avery. <laughs> Hello. What did you want to say about our roles? Oh, uh, okay. I just want to do a disclaimer that I represent a large population of people that this is not their life or, you know, maybe under under informed right because it doesn't affect them on a daily basis but so that's where i'm coming at this from and i just wanted to do my disclaimer before we started our discussion i think that's a fantastic disclaimer because you're right the vast majority of people hunting isn't their life it's something that they just you know they may do occasionally they may not do at all and uh hope hopefully some of those people listen to us and get their little tidbits of information from the week uh, from the roundup. Yep. There you go. That's the plan.
Cody, what did you, Cody, what did you have to do? I'm nothing. I left it, I left it uh, completely up to her. You know, we discussed it um, one time before and uh, she, uh, we had, we actually had some house guests the last time we discussed um, my wife, Avery, joining us here on the roundup and uh, came up again today. And she initially said no again, I think just from a, uh, maybe a slightly nervous standpoint of not um, knowing what we were going to throw at her or being incredibly, uh, you know, in, in involved in these, these type of discussions on a daily basis, like you and I are. Um, and then out of nowhere, she said, uh, send me the topics for today. I want to read them. So I sent her the, our, our list of topics and uh, I will say she probably did more, um, preparing and reading of the topics than I normally do on a regular basis. So I, I will also say the last time you had like a hundred page dissertation was one of the times. No, I didn't no, have, no, 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 no. I did no, no, not stop. have time the out. bandwidth for that. <laughs> time out. That was not me. That was actually me. That was, that was the individual sitting next to you who decided to put a WWF dissertation yeah, on the round but he topics. also didn't read said dissertation. So. No, I didn't. I didn't at all. The title just looked interesting. <laughs> and I thought Robbie would skin it. I'm telling you, that's how I roll with this thing. Um, <laughs> but no, good topics this week. It's kind of like you and Robbie's relationship is like you're in my relationship. Like I expect you to read the fine print for me. And right. and you expect Robbie to read yeah. the fine print. For I'm you. reading the fine print for you all the time, so Robbie's got to pick up the slack it. with Blood Origins. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, Avery, do you want to do a little introduction of yourself? Do you hunt, Avery? Um, I have accompanied Cody on some hunts. Have not ever hunted myself. More of a fisher woman, if that's a term. Um, it is a term. Now. <laughs> Love the outdoors. I have two boys um, that are really, we, we moved to Colorado, I'm sure everybody knows this, we moved to Colorado like a year and a half ago um, from Plano, Texas. So <laughs> really a city girl my whole life. N nobody in the family hunted or anything like that. I knew it was an important part of Cody's life. And I have young boys that love to be in nature, but I, I was never able to teach them anything regarding um, hunting. I, I told Cody, I was like, Hey, we camp, but we use ready logs. Okay. Sometimes you just got to get it done. Um, so, but that is a perfect explanation for who you are. Right? Yeah. We, and we did get it done, but, um, it's interesting. I don't know. I think that Cody's alluded to this on a few of the shows. I think it's, um, for us kind of trying to get back to like being in charge of having an impact on what we put on our table and, and where it comes from. And I, I, it's just something that we're dipping our toe in, but it's meaningful to us. And it's a lesson that we want to teach to our kids. And, and uh, that's about the extent of it for me. That's if I could sum it up. Um, thus yeah, far. And Dez, is now shooting bows. Yeah. Dez is now shooting bows off the patio onto some random wildlife staged wildlife around and I the property. Will, I, I will say I'm going to take up like 20 seconds of your time to tell you this like anybody that has met I don't you have not met Des in person have you I have not okay anybody that's met Des can attest to the fact that he is a high strung 10 year old kid 
I mean, like if, if ADD is a thing, it's there, right? It's, it's just, he's just high energy. Okay. But when he, when he shoots the bow, it's something that he can't, he can't bounce around. He can't look everywhere and he likes it. And so it's been just a great outlet for a kid that, you know, needs a little focus and channeling of that energy. And it's just been really cool to see him develop through that. As a nine-year-old also just completed the uh, Leupold course at the uh, Glenwood Springs Total Archery Challenge. And uh, we did not shoot from the markers. I wouldn't have shot from the marker every time if I was out there with my bow. There was some some 70-yard shots. But uh, he was proud that he went 18-25 uh, to 25 on his first shot, which may not – we walked with a bunch of adults who – most of them did not go 18 of 25 on their first shot on the, on that course. So, uh, yeah, the, the focus for him and the, the true desire, I think kids that lack focus, sometimes it's, uh, finding something that you really, really, really want. And he really, really wants to go hunting with me. Um, but we just set some stipulations that for him to hunt, he has to be he has to be able to do these things with his bow, or we're not going to just fling an arrow at an animal. Um, mm-hmm. It's been cool to find his focus with that, that uh, he, takes it, he takes it very seriously, you know, and a lot of times, you know, he's, he's at the point now where he's blaming things on the wind and things like that, like we all do. Um, but uh, no, it's, it's been a great experience and a way to see him really find a focus that he didn't have something driving him like that. Well, I mean, it's, I think it's easy to motivate kids in the short term, right? Do this and you'll, you'll get ice cream today. Right. As an example, but this has been like a, a a year, a year in a 10 year old's life is a long time. Right. So it's been cool to see him work towards a big goal. Well, isn't that just the symptom of today's society with kids and you know, that we, you know, through blood origins, it's one of the things that we continually champion, which is this idea of characteristics, sort of humanity's characteristics, societal characteristics that you learn through hunting, perseverance, patience, responsibility. Responsibility, yeah. And the ultimate responsibility, right. not only in the, in the taking of a life, but the safety measure of it, right? Like... You know, I think there's people in the world that knew Desmond two or three years ago that would see pictures of me putting a 22 rifle in his hands and think that maybe I've lost my mind <laughs> because of how little focus the kid has. Um, but when he has, when he just gun safety, uh, hunting and, and so much of it gives you great parenting opportunities for, look, this isn't, a, this isn't an instant gratification thing. You're going to prove to me with a BB gun, then a pellet gun, then a 22 rifle that I'm standing next to you and I'm a hand, arms reach away. You're going to prove to me over a long period of time all these safety things, or you're going to prove to me over a long period of time, you can't just pick up a compound bow and be good at it. There's too many factors involved. Um, and no, it's been, a, it's been a great, it's also, a, I mean, it's just fun as hell for me on the selfish side. I like. I like doing that with any kids. I did it with, with my kids before teaching them 
the long play and learning a skill. And now it's happening with, with uh, Avery's kids. It, it does give me peace of mind that at some point in life, when he's around guns, whether it be at his friend's house or whatever, that he he will have a sense of respect for how how much you know how important that is. And I don't think I, if you don't have those conversations, how would they know? So I, I think it's been a great great lesson for him. No, I totally agree. Totally agree. Well, Avery, as we typically do. We have a little bit of uh, housekeeping, admin, before we get into the articles that you have so diligently researched. <laughs> Wouldn't go that far, but... <laughs> <laughs> Avery, do you shop at Amazon? Absolutely. I know that's like, probably a stupid question. I mean, like FedEx, I'll, I'll say it this way. The FedEx guy, we have his cell phone number because we meet him in town to pick up our packages. They come that often. So yes, resoundingly. So I assume that you have gone on smile.amazon.com and put Blood Origins as your charity of choice. I, my somebody that I'm uh, married to has. We have this. We, we use the same. <laughs> we use the same Amazon login. So yes, that's done. Well, great. Thank you, Avery, for supporting Blood Origins with your Amazon purchases. Absolutely. Why wouldn't you? So You're it doing so it anyway. You know? <laughs> <laughs> It's Amazon's money too, folks. You're not you're not paying anymore. You're not giving us money. Amazon is giving us a cut of your purchase. So smile.amazon.com, put in Blood Origins and run that credit card up. That's it. All your Amazon purchases and we get a percentage of what you pay and it's Amazon's money. So please, it helps us uh, tremendously. You can just imagine. Imagine we got a bunch of people buying stuff on Amazon. I can't, I, you know, who knows what that money's going to look like. Absolutely. And here's the thing. Okay, here's another way to look at it. If your wife is spending a lot of money on Amazon, here's a good way to feel good about it. Hey, right? Yeah. Mm, I like it. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I'm not sure I like that reasoning, but for everyone else outside of our household, that is phenomenal reasoning. <laughs> Oh, moving on. Let's uh, move on a little bit. Uh, obviously, supporters program is still going. Conservation Club is still going. Uh, we want you to participate in the supporters program. We are obviously have a lineup of incredible giveaways in July and similarly in August. Uh, don't have to belabor the point. Go on www.bloodorigins.org. Have a look. Click on the supporters program button and you can see all the cool things that we are giving away. Anything else, Cody? I think that's it on the admin stuff. Go to the shop, get you a hat, ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, a shirt. We don't have hats in there no, right now. No, we don't have hats. But I did receive in the mail this week the Black Death. The coffee. The what coffee. Are... Did you see me sniffing? Yeah, I yeah. Was, I... it was kind of weird. It was kind of weird, honestly. You sniffed it for too long. But yeah, I did see it. Is it... Have you had some? Have you made some? Yes. I have made some, and it is robust. It is full-bodied. It's flavorful. I opened the packet. You know, the best smell in the world is when you open that fresh bag of coffee, and especially a dark roast has the oil on it and whatnot, and you just have that deep coffee smell. I actually um, I, I didn't send you any today in the post. I sent someone else some of this coffee in the post. I'm sorry, Avery. I will send you some, I promise. That, that's um, what I'm most excited about. 
my car smelled like a coffee shop when I got in it. I was like, oh my gosh, this smells so darn good. But yes, the coffee of Black Death is in. It tastes good. We're going to refine it slightly, uh, a little bit more, and then we will be doing a collaboration with Dog and Gun Coffee for the dark roast, the Black Death Buffalo roast that they will be doing. I'm excited. Thanks for not sending us any, I guess. Well, this is what I'll do. Since you have been a magnificent Blood Origins employee, <laughs> I guess I only, have, I only have one. So I'll send you a cork Blood Origins hat that you can give to Avery. Maybe. I will send you your elephant and kangaroo rifle sling. I'm excited about that. Absolutely. I'll send you your Orvis shirts with your bowling name tag on it. I'm definitely excited about that. Did we get Avery on the bowling house. shirt? Because I could be a great representative, you know, like, uh, um, mm. <laughs> we, we did not, uh, but we could get Avery a bowling shirt in the future, a woman's cut, because it wouldn't be appropriate to have you in a you know, men's cut. Right. Yeah. Future to do's. And coffee. So, yeah, we're going to package all that up, and I'll package some coffee up. Yeah, there you go. And coffee. Okay, I'm good with that. When is there a projected release date for the Black Death from Dog and Gun? No. Okay, perfect. I'm glad I brought it up. (laughs) All right. Uh, Okay, Avery, you get to pick the article. Let's start with whatever, which one you want to start with. Well, you have... Since you are a guest. You had... uh... Two mountain lion topics. Why don't we just knock those out? They seem similar. So the reason the California lion hunting articles are in there is because of the fact that New Jersey just banned the bear season for 2021. The commissioner for the Department of Environmental Protection did not sign the new CBBMP, which is the Comprehensive Black Bear Management Policy. And because of that, and because of a Supreme Court ruling in 2007, New Jersey is not allowed to have a black bear season without a policy in place. And so, Avery, let me talk through some simple thought patterns that happen as a result. No black bear hunting means no interference between humans and black bears, putting sort of, I guess, a fear of humans into the landscape. Uh, means more bears, means more human-wildlife interactions, human-wildlife conflict, more calls to the sheriff in terms of problem animals, which more than likely will lead to bears being killed. Um, but that's a hypothesis, right? Does that make sense, Avery? Did, it, mm-hmm. did I... Simple enough, right? Let, let me jump in there with a baited question, because I think that when we explain this, it's a, it's a, well, Arius Geist talked about habitualization, right? Very much, who, by the way, we just lost recently. Great, uh, right. great uh, scientist in the, especially in the predator field in North America. Um, but he talked about habitualization and it's, I think a lot of people think that you just made an argument for solely we have to kill bears so they don't mess with humans. And while there is some population management wrapped up in the thing for sure, the habitualization argument is just as much about actively being out there as a pre- I mean, 
the kill is not the only thing that leads to habitualization, especially in predator hunting, especially in predator hunting where oftentimes there's dogs used. There's just a creation of kind of a uh, culture, or for lack of a better word, in the bears or the lions or the wolves having fear of humans. Right. Um, and it doesn't, we're not saying we've, the only solution or the only positive benefit of having a hunting season is the killing of the animals. So there's less animals. So there's less human wildlife conflict. Some of that's true. Their the population management is a, is a legitimate part of it in some places, but just creating the thought or the fear of the of human beings in the animal is also a big part of habitualization correct right from a a biology standpoint yep correct now you know from an anti-perspective an anti-hunting perspective this new jersey scenario is you know they're cheering right they're saying wow awesome we stopped the hunting of bears i.e we stopped the killing of bears and i would you know posture that that is not true well you're you're going to roll this into california where we have the data that in fact the opposite can happen correct yeah so the there's just been a study released in the paper in a in a journal called wildlife human wildlife interactions and it's about cougar depredation in the state of california and it's a fascinating study because if you looked at the, the data of how many lions were killed prior to the ban, and the ban happened in 1972, they said 12,400 animals died between 1907 and 1963, essentially. So there's a bit of a 10, there's a 10 year gap there in terms of the data point. Uh, it roughs out at about 200 animals a year. But you've got to remember at that time frame, it wasn't regulated hunting, it was more like nuisance species kill as many as you can kind of scenario, okay? So right. this, so I would say on the upper limit of how many mountain lions would be taken every year, regardless. When you look at the data, um, and unfortunately we don't have data prior to 1972, but the trends in the data show that the depredation of animals, pets and small livestock and large livestock was almost negligible, probably less than half a dozen to a dozen a year, okay? After 1973, there's a moratorium put on mountain lion hunting. From 1973 to 1994, there is an exponential increase in depredation. Okay? In ni- and, and what's interesting about this graph is you watch it. It goes up, 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 up. And in 1990, it drops for one year. And then it goes back up. What happened in 1990 in California? It's a proposition, whatever, 177 or something like that. Probably got the number wrong. They opened up, they opened up hunting for one year. Right. Mm-hmm. Depredation came down. They closed it again. Depredation went to the highest point in 1994. I say that all to say is this. During that time period, not only... So, again, the animal rights activists were like, we hate the idea of animals being trophy hunted, essentially. This mountain lion being a trophy animal being trophy hunted so we don't want we don't want mountain lions being killed is essentially the rhetoric but in fact about you know 
on average, 100, 200 probably animals are dying from a depredation perspective, livestock and pets. And mountain lions in, in different time frames are also dying because of depredation. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing, actually, if you did a bit of a math exercise, in terms of the amount of animals being depredated, pets and livestock, and the amount of mountain lions being shot as a result of the depredation, you're actually seeing more animals die now in a depredation scenario than you did in a hunting scenario. And, and yeah, no, exactly. And I know some people are, are going to act like this doesn't care, but like they don't care, this doesn't matter. But the money flow also is just astronomical from, and I'm not saying that mountain lion hunting ever created a gigantic influx into the California system, but it was a positive money net flow compared to millions of tax dollars now being spent to both compensate depredation to livestock owners, as well as paying bounty hunters um, to go out and, and kill many more animals on a, on a state-sponsored de- depredation harvest than, than ever before. It doesn't, no one benefited from this thing. No one benefited, not even the mountain lions, right? <laughs> like no one benefited from this mindset. And to your point on this tie-in, New Jersey is going to see the same thing. There's, there's too many people and too many bears in New Jersey. Exactly. And, and exactly. one way or another, that population is going to be controlled lethally. So you're just going to see if New Jersey sticks with this, this year by year thing. I think it's also worth noting that the commission passed this, right? Like the, the group that was to propose it passed this. Um, and the commissioner himself just didn't sign it. Um, so it, it wasn't some crazy, right. some crazy outside group wanting to slaughter way too many bears. It was a, it was a wildlife commission proposed management plan. Um, and they're, they're going to see it. I don't, they're, they're, they're going to see an increase in bear problems and probably just as many or more bears will be harvested but there will also be way more bear human conflict. Um, I, I thought my favorite quote of the go hunt article, the second mountain lion article was, it was talking about how the, this organization brought the banning of mountain lion hunting into existence. And so the biologists and experts weren't allowed to apply their management strategies. This is my favorite line. It says, so this, this decision is left to the emotionally charged, emotionally driven, and generally ignorant general public. And I think that, well, I mean, I have, a, I have a respect for mountain lions. They're majestical creatures, if you will. But I, it, it doesn't matter to you until it comes to your front door. You know, and, mm-hmm. and I think... You know, in Cody's previous lives, he's sitting at meetings in Wisconsin uh, across from people that are like, I- I'm, making, I'm making up the organization, okay, don't quote me on this, like ASPCA people, and it's a bipartisan issue because their dogs have been eaten off of the leash in front of the owner. 
And it just goes to show like, until it's a problem for you in your life, it, it, it can be emotional. But I think for some of the people right. that are so passionate about it, it's because it affects their lives and their livelihood. Um, that that's the thing that struck me the most. And and I think coming from Plano, Texas, I don't know if I would have had an opinion about mountain lions. Mm-hmm. But walking around, walking around our mountain right now, and coming across a track that looks like you know half the size of my foot, it, it's a little bit more real, you know. Hundred percent. I think, too, coming from Plano, Texas, prior to sitting down there on the couch and listening to these conversations that Robbie and I have, it would be very easy to say to someone, man, hunters are just slaughtering all the mountain lions in California. Shouldn't we stop this hunting? You know, and if you take that statement right there at its face value, the general public is at a minimum going to be ambivalent, probably back this proposition, probably back this proposition in New or the lack of this plan in New Jersey. Well, because if it doesn't affect you, then what's your motivation to go research it? Right. Right. What's your motivation to look past the first layer and see that there's more than just that title statement of that propaganda from the mountain lion foundation or from the humane society of the United States and see that that there's more to it than this. And, uh, you know, California, you know, if, if we, we want a silver lining it, they've, they've shown it to us. They've given us close to 50 years now worth of data showing that if you don't do something to dehabitualize these apex style predators, um, that you're going to have more problems than if you do do something. Do do. Do do. <laughs> On I that think, note. I think, yeah, it, it, well, okay. I'm assuming you're going to tie right into the next two articles that we're about to get this on a grand scale also in the Northern Rockies with the grizzly bear. It's about to happen, folks. It's already happening. We are in the, in the lower 48. We are tied for a record year of grizzly death. No, I'm sorry. In the United States, we are tied for a record year of grizzly deaths. It's July, and it's only the seventh month, and we're tied for grizzlies killing humans. And we've already crossed the record for the number of grizzly bear... uh, I forgot my terminology from that article last week. A conflict is when there's actually an attack, I think. It's... Grizzly bears, especially in the lower 48, no longer have a fear of human civilization. And it's going to be a really big problem and it's going to continue to grow as long as federal judges keep stepping in and telling Idaho and Montana that, and Wyoming that they, that they can't have grizzly bear seasons. It's going to get worse and worse. And then, you know, we've already we've already killed several grizzlies in the lower 48 this year for attacking human beings. Um, and, you know, the, it, the proof is just there that if we allow humans to go out and and create that barrier and make them scared of human civilization, that that stuff happens less. So it, it's going to continue to get worse because it's going to be a federal judge issue as opposed to a New Jersey issue or a California issue uh, on grizzly bears. And that's just going to continue to get worse as well. Yeah. So the two articles that we 
uh, have found this week is two incidences of Alaska, in Alaska, actually, um, of grizzly interactions with humans. One, a man shot a grizzly that charged at him near the Chena Hot Springs Road in Fairbanks, northeast Fairbanks, Alaska. And the other one was a individual in the middle of nowhere in Nome. And a Coast Guard just happened to have seen an SOS sign on the top of his house and uh, came and rescued him, saying that he had been attacked by a grizzly and had retreated to his home, essentially. And the grizzly then just came back night after night after night mm -hmm. uh, to try and take him out, I guess, try and take him out. Um, and uh, he got flown out of there by the Coast Guard. Yeah, it's real. I mean, it's just real. And, and, uh, it's just such a specific issue depending on where you live. And I, I don't see how somebody that has never maybe even seen a grizzly at a zoo can dictate policy on what works for the people of that area. I, it, that boggles my mind. Sounds like just general politics to me. Yeah, exactly. And too much of it going on the ballot, probably. Um, we went through this with all of our discussions about the Colorado wolf stuff. And I'm a complete fan of American people being able to put a thing on the ballot and the majority approving of it. It just, uh, it just gets rough when you let emotion dictate that um, as opposed to science and facts. Our neighbor yesterday, yesterday morning here really quickly, here's a quick bear story for you. Our neighbor did um, some remodeling on their house. They had a, a big dumpster at their house. Um, and the day it was the day before the dumpster was supposed to be picked up, his wife cleaned out the pantry and the refrigerator and threw some food away. Dumpster company calls, they can't get to it for two weeks. So now they have several trash bags of food sitting in a dumpster. When we're in we're in uh, South Central Colorado, and. He now has a, a, a cinnamon black bear that comes to the house every day and checks the dumpster. And this, this yesterday morning, here's, this is going to embarrass, I'm going to embarrass myself. Yesterday morning, we had a woodpecker pounding on our house that woke us up at like 545 in the morning. I, we were both almost back to sleep. And then we hear these two really weird noises that in my mind processed as the woodpecker did two quick taps on the glass. That's what I thought it sounded like. It wasn't. It was my neighbor not shooting at the bear, but firing off two 40 caliber warning shots because the bear was chasing the dogs towards the house and into the house. Wowza. This bear had, this bear has zero, because for four or five days, he's been coming to their house and digging through a dumpster, he has zero fear of the dogs or the people. He's a whopper too. I, I'll send you a picture. He's a big, big cinnamon black bear. Um, luckily, he ran off. He's fine. The neighbor didn't do anything illegal. Just let the bear know he needed to go away. But he was coming. The dog was running for the house, and the bear was chasing the dog. And uh, it just happens. If, if, if we don't, as we encroach on their territory, if we don't establish a set of guidelines and rules with them, they're going to establish their own set of guidelines and rules. All of them, cougars, wolves, bears, even black bears oh, when sure. they get you know. For sure, for sure. They're all going to be so, they're all adaptable, man. They're all adaptable to these different landscapes that we're 
that we're manipulating and changing because of just, you know, human encroachment into their habitats. Well, not all of them are adaptable. What's not adaptable? Oh, spotted owl. (laughs) I set it up very nicely. Uh, My favorite article of the week. I really, really love this article. Uh, And I will, the the article's title, it's in Anthropocene magazine, and a a listener, uh, wouldn't even call a listener, a community member of Blood Origin sent it to us. And the article's title is Gunning Down a Common Owl to save an endangered worked. Are we willing to keep doing it? And so I'll just read the first paragraph of it. For years, biologists and federal officials in the Pacific Northwest have wrung their hands about the decline of the endangered northern spotted owl. Following the arrival of its more, of its more aggressive and adaptable cousin, the barred owl. Now it appears they have a tool that could turn the tables. A shotgun. A shotgun. (laughs) It's a fantastic article in that it's like, okay, we have an issue here. We have, and let's approach it not from a hunter's perspective. Let's approach it from a non-hunter, animal welfare, animal rights. We love every single animal out there problem. We have an animal that's out of balance causing another animal's population to be detrimentally impacted what do you do well the whole approach here is not i love every animal it's some animals more important than the other i i don't understand how we get to determine that but i'm not looking at it from a scientific perspective so prove me wrong i want to know what I, I, I don't see how that's fair. I feel like the, what, what was the other one? What's the new one that we're shooting? Uh, Bawd Al. So, yeah. But he's getting the shit end of the stick. All he did was, <laughs> was you know, adapt. And now we're, I don't know, punishing for it. It just, seem, it just seems unfair. It seems like we're playing God in the whole thing. And I don't, I don't understand it. 2,485 of them. By the way, they didn't pop a couple of barred owls. They killed 2,485 of them. Yep, in 10 years. In 10 years. How do we decide which owl is more important? G- give me the science perspective. So, well, I could easily say you don't. Um, but I could also easily say you look at what's native. Okay. I do not know the data in terms of whether barred owls are native to this system or not. It did not sound like they are. Um, it, let me read through this. It says um, spotted owl. So in, in the northeast, obviously, in the northwest, sorry, this, these spotted owl numbers have been declining for quite some time. And they were declining before the barred owl showed up. Um, so the barred owl is not native to the northwest. It is native to the forest of the east in North America. Uh, and it's unknown to how the birds arrived on the west coast. Uh, they were found in, as early as 1943. They, as they migrated south, spotted, spotted owls started going quiet. So there may be some sort of interaction effect. Uh, there's most definitely some sort of interaction effect between the barn owls and spotted owls. Um, definitely there's a habitat issue at stake here from a spotted owl's perspective 
And so you've got to take that into consideration, right? You've got to take into consideration the fact that you have a species that is native being outcompeted by an animal that is in that specific habitat classified as non-native. Hold on. I'm okay, here we go. Is there some claim that human beings force the barred owl down? No. No, there's nothing like that. Okay, then we are just screwing with nature. Now, I'm, I mean, if, if all the barred owls were in this area and we built a city there and it kicked them down and something, but I mean, if this animal just moved, just migrate, not truly, just migrated down, I don't know. I, I can look at this in two different ways. I, I, I don't understand it enough to know why we're shooting the barred owl. I also don't understand how we can shoot the barred owl because it's having a detrimental, a detrimental effect, but we can't shoot the cougar in California because it's having a detrimental effect. I don't, you know, like, I mean, there's a, I can, I can take two sides on this. And if the barred owl just naturally started migrating in the 1940s and they're winning, right? I mean, if, if. No, but the, that, the, that's a, that's a, a very. I hear what you're saying, and you can and you can take it from a perspective of is this is this evolution, right? Is this natural selection mm -hmm. in 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 terms of it happening in front of our eyes? You've also got to, and it may be so. You've also got to recognize that humans have obviously manipulated the landscapes and have created opportunities for these probably these barred owls to live in areas that they may not have ever lived in before providing food sources that they are willing to accept and tolerate versus the spotted owls, which will not accept this food source. I, I did read in the article that the spotted owls are picky eaters. So it's like they brought this upon themselves, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is why we have Avery on the podcast right here. Entertainment value. <laughs> yeah, it's like... So, for instance, let me ask, let me couch it this way, Cody. Snakeheads, you know the snakehead, the fish. Yeah. Snakehead, the fish is an aggressive predator. Just seems to be moving into different watercourses, taking okay, out the, the native fish species. Is the snakehead taking out the food source, or is it taking out the fish that the native fish species? Because this this owl isn't eating the spotted owl. It's and it's not even but they're also they're also eating they're also eating food that the spotted owl wouldn't even eat i just i do i don't know i vote evolution i but are snakeheads moving themselves yeah they're moving through water courses when the flood when floods happen they'll just move and hop different streams and whatnots and different systems i'm just not sure what i'm trying to articulate i use the snakehead as an example is that you've got a you've got an animal that is out competing another animal from a food resource perspective as well as a population perspective and as a result of that it's forcing population declines of that uh, that other animal and typically in in the in this case in this case and in many other cases it's the native animal, the animal that was always there mm -hmm. that has a population decline. And so if we were truly managing our systems the way that we wanted to manage them, to your original point, Avery, no, you don't want to manage 
to a species. You want to manage for biodiversity. And so you want to give everyone a good, you know, as, as good a shot as you possibly can. And so this is their way of making sure that the spotted owl stays around, essentially. So at what point is there a threshold for that? Like, when have we done enough if mm. they are truly not? Is that threshold 2,486 barred owls? It's, it's a great question, Avery, because that's how, you know, the reason for a thing called the Endangered Species Act. And what is the population level that has recovered and to a point where then you don't need to worry about its population status anymore? I think you'll always have to manage any species is going to require management because every landscape, every habitat has been imprinted by humans mm -hmm. and has had some sort of human management put on it. And so it's our job to continue to steward that ecosystem. Do we have, okay, this is a much bigger discussion, possibly for another podcast episode, but it's a thing that's, I've asked you in a roundabout way, this question before of do conservation, do scientists put any, because is, is it fair to say that millions of species went extinct prior to humans making them go extinct? I mean, things go extinct naturally. That, that happens. That's a fact. Correct. Is there any, is there ever any thought to that? Is there, I, I'm not picking on the spotted owl. I'm using the spotted owl for demonstration purposes only. Is the spotted owl just destined for extinction, you know, for lack of me having any better, any better knowledge because of Darwinism? I mean, is it just something that's not going to make it? it you could be very well right. However, two things pop into my brain immediately. Number one, why are they declining so rapidly? Is it because of you know, evolution or is it because of a human-driven consequence, i.e. habitat loss, i.e. forest fragmentation? That's number one. Number two, yes, extinctions always happened. It's just multiplied by an order of magnitude as a result of human activity today. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm not making an argument against any type of conservation or trying to save a species. I just genuinely wonder, does that, is that a part of animal biology, animal conservation? Does anyone ever go, maybe this thing just ain't gonna make it right it's tough and man you know why it's tough is because evolution change species habitat range uh modifications shouldn't happen in this time scale that we operate under no yeah ab absolutely talking about animals that like like you know whatever to make up numbers a million years ago an animal may have started to decline and then 10,000 years later it was extinct right like 100%. like those those kinds of time frames i i get it completely but to me you know even the snakehead if if it's you know i mean i i just wonder if the species that it's running out were they in the big scheme of of god's plan of mother nature's plan supposed to make it 
you know, are, are we messing with it on that end of it? I, I don't know. I, someone's going to listen to this and get all pissed off at me. I have no idea what I'm talking about. These are just the thoughts that go through my head with, with uh, certain animals. The same thing could probably, I probably need to ask the exact same question of every hunting-based conservation. Are, are Bob White quails supposed to go, I don't know, are we, are we fighting to save a thing that sage grouse, right? I, I don't know those answers. I wanted to bring those up so I didn't look like the, the biased hunter. That, But those are questions that bounce around in my head every time we talk about these type of things. And this barred owl, spotted owl one really made me think maybe the, you know, maybe the barred owl's supposed to win. Like the mountain lion won and the saber-toothed tiger didn't, you know, because of food supply and, and those type of things. They just weren't a sustainable species. I don't know. I'm done with that. That could also be because we have no emotional connection to these owls. Because when we're fishing and you get, you know, in Idaho, a white fish on the line or in Colorado, a pike on the line, you're like, damn fish. You know, it, we care about those environments. We don't give a, we, we don't, don't know, know we about don't know. the owls. True. That's true. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Avery. Um, I will say this as a last point to Cody. Um, I think as humans, as managers, as biologists, as scientists, we understand that the systems are highly manipulated because of us. And as such, we're going to trying to put in place measures that reduce the impact of us on the potential unnatural change of ecosystems. Mm -hmm. uh, you, want to be, you want to put in place mechanisms that the system can function as naturally as it possibly can. And so to this article, you know, removing a, a owl that is very adaptable to a lot of different habitats that has a very wide food resource um, base to save a, or to give an opportunity for a much more endangered owl that is native, that has a much more restrictive food resource base and opportunity that to us is, is, is key to maintaining the biodiversity of the area and maybe putting it back onto, Cody, to your point, a much slower trajectory of change and loss. So I, com I completely agree with and understand what you just said, except what if the, the barred owl showing up was very natural? No, it was not. Like, I, How do you know? Because of Why? humans. Because of Why humans. Why did humans make the barred owl show up? Because there's much more population in. We've got food resources. We've got uh, opportunities for it to move around. Okay, that was that was my original question, and yeah, you, you answered it obviously. I, I asked no. you if there was any human influence <laughs> in the reason that the barred owls showed up. He, you, uh, you can rewind after this. He did ask you that as a precursor. <laughs> there you go. He kind of trapped you if a little the, bit. If if the barred owl showed up naturally. Shooting 2,500 of them to save the spotted owl is not letting nature take its course. It's not. That's human interference. Now, hold on. If the barred owl, again, like I said, if it showed up because all the barred owls lived right here and we built a big city there and they had to move, that's a different story. Or whatever. Somebody planted barley and barred owls love barley, so they all flew down there. I don't know what happened or why I used barley as an example right there. but, but. If, the, if, if it was a, a man-made transition of the barred owls, 100%. If the barred owls were just like, eh, 
let's go check it out down there. And, and then shooting 2,500 of them is not a natural ecosystem occurrence. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about, but these are the thoughts that go through my head about these kinds of things. It just seems, but it does seem, okay. So if you look at, you use some of the examples of like the snakehead, what, it, this seems like an aggressive approach. Is this, if it was a spectrum of how to deal with invasive species, where would you put this on the spectrum of approach? Well, it is, it does seem like an aggressive approach, but what other, what, what else would you do? Well, I mean, like in Colorado, if you catch a pike, you're supposed to, you're supposed to kill the pike. Right. I think. That seems Don't pretty aggressive. Well, it's, but it's not because you weren't targeting the fish. You weren't targeting a pike. If that's what you got on your line and you brought it in, you don't release it back, but you're not okay. hunting the pike. So it's, it's an invasive species. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm just saying across management philosophies, would you say that this is aggressive or this kind of par for the course? in terms of across management philosophies um there's a gradient of 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 it's a good very good question i management philosophies i would say are going to be determined in their severity to the situation in which you're implementing them and so in this situation okay like what could you do you could trap them you could misnet them. And then what do you do once you've trapped them and misnet them? Are you translocating them somewhere? Or are you, you know, putting them in a euthanization chamber? Um, or is it more highly effective, maybe a little bit more aggressive, but more effective from a time perspective and a cost perspective mm -hmm. to shoot them? Lethally remove them. Let me say that better. It's more scientific. Lethally remove them. I would say from a public perspective, I'm going to drop out to the common Joe and not the, not the, the scientist. Shotgunning 2,500 owls is fairly aggressive. That's a, I mean, when the, and, and I, again, I'm not disagreeing with it. I don't understand it, but uh, it, it, it's a great conversation topic. To me in my head, my head went two different ways. One was if the barred owls just winning, shouldn't they just win? And the other one was, if you're supporting this from a scientific standpoint, how can you not support lethal management of other animals that are having a detrimental effect on other species within their ecosystems? I so. do think I, when you put it in perspective of what's the alternative, like if we decide that saving the spotted owl is the goal, right? And, and then what's the alternative of how else you could manage that? And you go through some of the other possibilities and I'm adding up the dollars in my mind and the time of, and is that even possible? I, you know, I don't know, but I think that's kind of the, the alternative that people don't think about. They're just like, holy shit, you killed 2,500 owls, you know? <laughs> yep. Yep. No, it's good. I know it's a, it's a very good conundrum to debate. I love it. I know you're looking to wrap up, but we have to touch quickly on my Wall Street Journal article that I added today. Well, I couldn't read the bloody thing. Why? Because it was in it's behind a paywall. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's, it's basically... Oh, Avery, I missed you. Here's the, here's the only point that I need to make about it, okay? 
It's an entire article about RAWA, the Recovering American Wildlife Act. Okay. Only point I need to make. I think from what I know of RAWA, it seems like a good deal. They're taking money from environmental fines and putting it towards animal conservation. I'm sure it can be overanalyzed. Um, and I, I don't know where that money was originally intended to go. That's the one question in my mind. But the one point that has to be made is the Wall Street Journal, in an article about the Recovering American Wildlife Act, chose to put a black and white ruffled lemur from Madagascar as the title <laughs> picture. That's my favorite thing about the whole thing. And a uh, an animal that is exclusively on one small island in the world is the only place they are that's, what, probably eight, ten thousand 10,000 miles from America? Mm -hmm. Was the giant picture at the top of that. That's, those are the things that I notice and tickle me that someone said. Someone just yelled out to some intern at the Wall Street Journal. Find me a picture of a wildlife. Of, of an endangered <laughs> animal. And in fact, the black and white roughed lemur is endangered. And they found one from the Smithsonian Zoo was the picture that they had. That's how endangered they are. At the North Wildlife, no, actually North Florida Wildlife Center. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I read about the. I had to go, I, to, for the sake of this conversation, I had to go look up where the black and white roughed lemur was from. And on the Smithsonian's website is where I found that they are native strictly to Madagascar. So thank you, Wall Street Journal, for keeping it all tied together and coherent <laughs> oh that's brilliant avery any last words no i i appreciate you having me on i enjoy the conversation i think it's nice when i mean all different perspectives can come together and have conversation i think that's what <laughs> that's what makes progress is when we keep talking so i appreciate it well, we appreciate you being the better half of Cody and uh, getting the chutzpah to uh, come on to the Blood Origins podcast and the humor that you bring is, uh, is well received. It's one of my redeeming qualities. You have many redeeming qualities, humor being one of Top them. Five. Top five. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.